In today's Becquerel podcast, Justine and I are going to be talking about our part two of our review of the 2018 Hills Global Symposium that focused on aging pets, social media, and e-commerce. If you were lucky enough to be there, I'm envious. Justine was. It was in Lisbon, Portugal at the end of April 2018. And not only could you attend live, but it was amazing because I got to have the experience of a 24-hour live stream where I could participate even being where I am in the Pennsylvania area. It was an amazing, diverse aspect of numerous lectures where we had over 5,000 viewers worldwide. And Justine and I today are going to review some of the amazing topics that were discussed at the Hills Global Symposium 2018. And the first lecture that I wanted to review is a lecture on sarcopenia and cachexia, treating thin pets. So what is sarcopenia? It's a normal age-related muscle loss, while cachexia is muscle loss associated with chronic and often inflammatory disease. And this great lecture was discussed by Dr. Valerie Parker from The Ohio State University. Dr. Parker added that it really is very important to distinguish muscle condition and body condition because assessment of lean body mass really needs to be an integral part of your clinical examination. If you want more information, you can refer to the online WSAVA, the Wasaba Toolkits, a lot of great information there regarding sarcopenia, cachexia, and normal muscle mass and body condition. When we look at body condition, and more specifically in this situation, muscle mass, there are several ways to measure muscle mass. That can include a non-invasive method like ultrasound, where you can obtain a vertebral epaxial muscle score, otherwise abbreviated VEMS. When we think about muscle loss, the pathogenesis of muscle loss can be caused by a number of factors, decreased protein synthesis, altered hormone concentration, inflammation, and physical activity, often lack of physical activity. We know atrophy of muscle. They, you have the misfortune of having a bone break, you know when you get that cast off, your muscle from lack of use is smaller than if you have the opposite muscle, let's say on the opposite arm. And thinking about ways that we can evaluate and maybe improve these situations, one thing that Dr. Parker discussed was leucine. Leucine was found to stimulate muscle or protein synthesis pathway, especially in healthy individuals. There were other memetics and agonists that seem promising for future development and future research of muscle gain and muscle loss that was found to attenuate muscle loss in dogs and cats. For example, fish oil, omega-3 fatty acids may be helpful. The evidence, it may be lacking at this time, but certainly important for research in the future. Finally, what Dr. Parker discussed is that effective management is multifactorial in these cases. There's not going to be one simple solution to replace muscle that is lost to help a cachectic animal with muscle loss. It's multifactorial. Rehabilitation is very important in these cases, something that I think we often forget in our clinically ill patients. It's not just about how much protein intake they have, but rehabilitation therapy is also very important in attenuating muscle loss. Before I pass the microphone over to Justine, I did want to talk about one other topic that I thought was really interesting. And the topic of this session was five myths 
about senior cat and dog nutrition. Many of us have nutrition questions, as do our clients. And optimal nutrition status is really the cornerstone for healthy aging. And this was stressed by the lecturer, Dr. Ronald Corby from Utrecht University. Dr. Corby recommended that we should be doing a nutritional assessment of every single senior patient that we have when they come to our clinic. He then went on to bust a number of nutritional myths. And I'm going to give you a couple. Myth number one, all senior pets should have a diet with a low energy content, which is not true. Geriatric cats, for example, actually have an increased energy need. Myth number two, senior pets require diets with high protein or low protein. Which one should it be? The answer, balanced protein is best. And water is the most important nutrient in our senior pets, for example, with renal disease. We need to avoid problems such as food aversion and anorexic or hyporexic renal patients. So, yeah, they should first be started on a recovery diet, then their own food, and then only when they're feeling well should they be given on a renal diet. And I see this all the time clinically myself. We have a patient that comes in that is anorexic with renal disease. We put that renal diet in their cage and they sit there looking at it for days on end. We have to make sure they're eating. And when they are feeling better, yes, as Dr. Corby pointed out, then we will put them on that renal diet to see if we can provide some long-term benefit there. Myth number three, there's no need to restrict sodium intake as low sodium can activate the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, the RAS system. Dr. Corby's response, sodium intake should not be severely restricted or excessive in our senior pets. Two more myths that I think are pretty cool. Myth number four, grains are a common source of allergies in pets. What does Dr. Corby say? Grains are a source of fiber essential fatty acids, amino acids, vitamins, and bioactive compounds with antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects. And pets can digest starch. Gluten-related disorders in pets are rare. And finally, myth number five, dry food causes obesity. What does Dr. Corby say about this? A recent study found that dry food intake was not associated with obesity. However, indoor confinement and physical inactivity were. So this is some great information from Dr. Corby, as well as the previous discussion about sarcopenia and cachexia from Dr. Parker. For more information, make sure you check out the recordings for their full lectures. Justine? What I wanted to talk about next was how to improve owner compliance in older pets. And if you're getting the gist of this, Hills Global Symposium, it was a lot about aging, osteoarthritis, chronic kidney disease. What can we do as veterinary professionals to help improve compliance in some of our older pets? And these are, you know, common diseases in older pets. Dr. Zoe Belshaw from Nottingham University talked to the Hills Global Symposium about when dogs age, medications can disrupt that human-animal bond relationship. Their best friend has turned into a patient and now needs multiple drugs. So it's important that we remember how difficult it can be for pet parents to medicate their older pets. There are many reasons for poor compliance, but the most common ones are, I forgot, it's just not practical. Everyone's super busy. They don't have time. So you have to reiterate and appropriately communicate why this medication or this therapy may be so important. The second 
reason for poor compliance may be my pet hates the drug and hates me for giving it to them. And there are a lot of workarounds around this, whether or not it's teaching them about pill pockets or working with a compounding pharmacy if they're allowed in your state so that you can get it compounded into a tuna flavor or chicken flavor, whether or not you can consider transdermal medication. Another reason for poor compliance Pet owners may be worried about side effects. And so important to talk to owners about the rare side effects. They're going to go to Dr. Google or Dr. Facebook to take a look, and it's better for you to be able to provide that information. And the last reason for poor compliance is they may not be sure if the product, drug, or intervention is working. So important to give the owner a time frame saying, I expect it to work in one to two weeks, or give them a goal for monitoring. Don't aim for compliance, but for adherence to a mutually agreed upon feasible treatment plan. Building that trust is crucial for client adherence and takes time. Dr. Belshaw stated that when prescribing a drug, explain why it's needed, when to give it, how to give it, how they'll know if it's working, what happens if it doesn't, what the potential side effects are, if there's any alternatives, and any client thoughts on how best to make it work. When in doubt, you can always provide them information in different ways, handouts, follow-up phone calls, apps, or videos. And there's a ton of apps out there that can help with this too. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Explain in detail what needs to be done. Break it down to tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow evening, rather than one week, one month after starting treatment. So again, let's work harder as veterinary professionals to help improve that owner compliance so we can make sure any of our patients are always being cared for appropriately. Garrett, back to you. Thanks, Justine. I have two more lectures that I'm super excited to talk about. And the first is a fascinating lecture that I was really taken by, by Joran Van Dam. Importantly, this lecture focused on e-commerce. It's not all doom and gloom for veterinarians. During the lecture, about one-third of the audience indicated their practice is part of an e-commerce platform. But the point was driven home that in our personal lives, as well as in our clients' lives, about 99% of them likely engage in e-commerce, buying online, whether it's shoes, vacations, or other products. I know I had an Amazon Prime package delivered to me today. E-commerce is very common in our personal lives. So why should you consider e-commerce for your clinic? Number one, your clients are already purchasing online. Now, they're already doing it. Why do we have to drive somewhere to get pet food and carry that 20 or 40 pound bag of food to your car, then out of your car, then somewhere in your house when it can be delivered right to your doorstep? Number two, E-commerce has a lot of benefits for your practice, better buying power, better ability to increase your Google search ranking collectively for a lower cost, lower inventory in-house, and a greater inventory that you can provide with the online platform to your clients. Wouldn't you rather have another dental or surgical suite or exam room rather than a closet or room filled with pet foods that owners can purchase online and take that out of your hands, this is a better way for you to be put in a competitive position, provide more for your client, provide a wider selection and variety for your client. You have less hassle in your clinic. You can focus more on other aspects, not ordering. 
invoicing, stocking, etc. You can focus on your core business. An e-commerce platform such as this allows for the client to either receive it to their house or provide free shipping to the clinic. If the pet owner has to come to your clinic to pick up the food, that's providing traffic to your clinic. E-commerce platforms allow follow-up, reminders. Is that food bag about to be empty? Should you come back and purchase more? Do you need to contact your veterinarian? Is the diet working? Do they feel better? Ultimately, with an e-commerce platform, not only do we have benefits for the practice, but it continues to stimulate that client, that customer, both online and in the clinic. So if you're not already established with an e-commerce platform, I encourage you to watch more of this lecture and also to consider e-commerce for the future success of your practice. Justine? All right. The last thing I wanted to talk about were common mistakes that veterinary professionals make on social media. And this is actually a talk that I gave in person at the Hills Global Symposium 2018 in Lisbon. I thought this was really important because most veterinarians will have a Facebook page, but they're overwhelmed. They're like, should I be on Instagram and Snapchat and LinkedIn and Twitter? Honestly, my general rule, stick with one. There are so many social media platforms out there, and most people don't have time to be on all of them. My answer, Facebook as a minimum for your veterinary clinic. Every clinic should have a Facebook page and make sure to keep it updated like your website. The other mistake that I see veterinary professionals making on social media is not using social media to better connect with your pet owners. The millennial generation is one of the fastest growing pet loving populations out there. And we want to make sure that we're connecting with them. You could utilize things like social media, a texting service, sending photos of their pet recovering from surgery. These are all great ways to connect with your pet owners. The third mistake, not knowing or utilizing the free tools on the internet that are out there. There are so many online tools such as PicMonkey, Hootsuite, Pixabay, and TweetDeck that can help facilitate your online communication. I love PicMonkey for being able to add a logo onto my photos. I love Hootsuite for being able to pre-schedule some of my social media posts. Pixabay is a great free source of stock images, and TweetDeck is available if you want to pre-schedule your tweets. Mistake number four, not having a social media policy at work. This should be part of the contract for all employees to clarify the rules and avoid potentially disastrous consequences. You want to make sure your staff are abiding by this so they're not posting selfies that are inappropriate. Mistake number five, don't throw pearls to the pigs. You always want to make sure that you're addressing online reviews immediately, but make sure you take it offline as soon as possible. For example, if you got a bad Google review or a bad Yelp review, make sure to address it. Don't delete it. I like to address it and say, I'm so sorry you had that bad experience with Fluffy. We are here for you 24-7 and want to find out what's going on. Please contact Karen between 8 and 3 tomorrow at this phone number and let's figure out what we can do. If they keep on responding back and start using curse words or really angry, I generally won't respond after that because I don't believe in throwing pearls to the pigs. Don't spend energy in responding to hate mail. It usually self-regulates as others will typically jump to your defense. 
The sixth mistake, not knowing more about copyright infringement. This can lead to costly lawsuits or even cease and desist letters. You want to make sure that you own that photo instead of just grabbing a stock photo off the internet for your website. So be aware of this. Mistake number seven, ignoring the importance of reviews and failing to claim ownership of your business. Keep in mind that 92% of consumers trust online reviews more than their family members. So proactively ask your clients for them. It's okay to have a sign for Yelp or a sign for Google reviews on your veterinary clinic window or hand them a business card asking them to review you online. Mistake number eight, handling negative comments. I already discussed this one about talking about not throwing pearls to the pigs, but it's important to never get in an online fight with a disgruntled client. And again, don't remove those negative reviews. Respond politely once, then let it go. Lastly, not caring more about search engine optimization or what we call SEO. This is important. This is how high your clinic shows up when someone searches on Google. And there's a couple of key simple things you can do when you're creating your website to help with that. So when in doubt, talk to your web designer, talk to GoDaddy, and make sure that you are avoiding some of these common mistakes on social media when it comes to your veterinary clinic. Thanks, Justine. I'm going to finish by talking about one more lecture I was really excited to watch. And this was by Casper France and how we should embrace digital disruption. What is digital disruption? This is when There's change that occurs when new digital technologies and business models affect the value proposition of existing goods and services. If you remember nothing else here, digital disruption has one purpose, to provide better service and value to the customer. And that's something we all strive to do day in and day out. The fundamental drive for this digital disruption is the customer's needs, more specifically, the unmet needs of the customer. Everybody's online. You have your computer, your tablet, your phone. You're constantly online and you want things better, faster, and cheaper. Once that supply barrier is eliminated, we see the shift online. Think about travel. We now book trips that cost thousands of dollars online rather than walking into a travel agency. Think about music. A single song used to take 20 minutes to download. 10 or 15 years ago. Now you're downloading whole movies in just minutes. The supply barrier is no longer an issue. As a veterinarian, what can you do? As a veterinarian, you know the customers better than anyone. You meet your clients every day. You know the consumer best. You need to uncompromisingly critically evaluate how you serve your customers and how you can do this better. Because if you don't, somebody else will. Secondly, you need to look at other industries and learn what happens there, why it happens, and what those rules are. What are the rules of digital? Here are just a few important rules discussed. The asset is the end customer. Winner takes all. And customers, they expect the best. Our clients are the same ones that expect the best from other industries. They want a taxi now? They open up their app and summon their Uber or Lyft. They want ingredients to a recipe, they search Google. They want shoes in 24 hours, they order from Zappos. What makes you think they don't expect the same from you? Bottom line, it is time to embrace digital disruption. If you want more information about digital disruption, check out Casper France's full lecture.
With that said, Justine and I wanted to introduce you today to some of the amazing webinars. We encourage you to go to the Clinician's Brief website to watch the recorded webinars and learn more about these topics, as well as the other topics that were presented at the Hills Global Symposium 2018. You won't be disappointed. To find that website, you can either Google or go to the website itself, cliniciansbrief.com slash 2018-hills-global-symposium. On our podcast page, we'll also have a link to this website, but trust me, you won't be disappointed. We hope you learned a lot, and we hope to see you online with our next Vecro podcast or webinar.